See that you don't tell anyone, tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing bringing him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there and thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with the tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Great. Thanks, Matt, for your warm welcome and for reading. And Jane, what a great kids' talk. So uh, thank you very much. I'll try not to use that word that Jane used. What was it again? Problem? So, uh, yeah, here we go. Um, Just um, up front plug, if you want to read more about uh, the forgiveness that Jesus is on about, uh, a book that Gita and I have just read by Tim Keller, Forgive. Um, a really um, uh, entertaining but invigorating, informative read that I promise will help you in life with all your relationships, uh, especially your relationship and your walk with God. So it's good. Well, let's get dialed up here. And uh, don't know how's your year started? Twenty twenty three. I shared with a few. Uh, friends coming in that our son got married two weeks ago. A uh, week before that, our daughter announced she was engaged to a bloke from Darwin. She's getting married in October. And so our word is, wow. Yeah. Um, so uh, two, two weddings on the horizon. And um, thanks to those who continue to be interested uh, in our growing up kids who were about this big sort of uh, all those years ago. Begin just um, getting you thinking about your needs, uh, if you like it, the problem, if you could have uh, God answer uh, your most immediate, your pressing needs uh, at the moment, uh, what would they be? Uh, This next slide is a picture of my good friend Carl. He looks fit and healthy, doesn't he? Uh, During Bible college, he was by far, like streets ahead, the healthiest, the fittest guy um, in the whole college. In fact, he's probably the fittest guy I've known all my life. 
There he is, 45 years old. He's just come back for another one of his 50 or 60 kilometre bike rides in the morning. And, you know, his wife is a GP. said, oh, how was it? She said, oh, it was good. I had a bit of sort of discomfort, you know, in my chest towards the end of the ride. So she immediately uh, took him to the hospital. And um, to his great surprise and shock, and especially to all his mates, uh, he'd had a heart attack, a small heart attack. Um, to look at this guy, even now you think this guy looks fit and healthy. Uh, he couldn't believe it. We couldn't believe it. He was 45. He didn't drink. Um, the last thing he thought, the last problem he thought he would have, uh, that we all thought Carl would have a need, is actually uh, the professional care of a cardiologist to save him from actually an even bigger heart attack. He's now healed. He's back riding. Um, and as a result, a heap of his ministry mates thought, if it can happen to Carl... I might go to my doctor and just get checked out. Uh, you know, one of those sort of like, um, yeah, wise things to do. But I share this because my super fit friend Carl, he needed the true state of his health revealed to him by the medical specialist so it could be treated. And he believed him because of his authority, because of his expertise, which is really what Jesus is teaching us here this morning. Jesus is God, the divine specialist, if you like, the doctor, come to look humanity in the eye and to reveal to all of us, to people everywhere, of the greater sickness that we all have and that only he can heal us from. We heard it there right at the end of that reading, didn't we? Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That reading from Mark's historical biography about Jesus, we heard three stories They each teach us about a need that Jesus meets, but especially about Jesus' identity and his mission. And particularly, it gets a bit pointy at the end, that's sort of the urgent response that he requires from us if we want to experience uh, the healing authority of Jesus. Well, let's get into it straight away, that leper, a leper made clean, um, where I think On view here is the compassion of Jesus. So really, uh, three simple headings, the compassion of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, and the call of Jesus. So we begin with the compassion of Jesus. Now, getting leprosy, it's a skin disease. In Jesus' day, it was like getting a death sentence. It was the ultimate first century example of social distancing or cancel culture. You were literally cancelled, uninvited, in fact, never to be invited to anything again. From the Jewish law, way back in Leviticus chapter 13, we read this. The person with such a skin disease like leprosy must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face and cry out, if you've seen Monty Python, unclean, unclean. I literally did, that's what they had to do. Now, this little word clean or unclean in, in the original language, it actually refers to a disease which makes a person ceremonially unclean, ritually unclean, relationally unclean, um, that they're, they're like socially contaminated, they're defiled, they're impure. See, to be a leper in Jesus' day was a pitiful existence. It wasn't just the physical ravages, uh, the social stigmas, if you like. You were literally were cut off from family, society, had to live alone uh, in, in leper communities. And Mark reports that a leper came to Jesus, imploring him, kneeling before Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can make me clean. 
He doesn't ask if you can. It's if you want to, you can make me clean. It's a question of motive. He's imploring Jesus to not just heal him of his skin disease, but more importantly, to actually heal him of his ritual and social uncleanness and defilement. He's actually asking for his life back. Jesus, will you give me my life back? Please, will you deal with the effects of sin of this disease in my life? He's begging Jesus to make him whole. Now, for years, this nameless man, he's been despised by all, experiencing ultimate social distancing, as I said, fear and loathing. Um, But not Jesus. Not Jesus. Moved with pity, moved with compassion. We're told there in verse 41, aren't we? Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him and said to him, I will be clean. I was trying to think of an example um, of what's going on here. And it's it's really hard. I mean, the closest I I could think of was, um, if you can bring to mind, the most dishevelled homeless person you've ever seen. Not showered for months, years, like, Um, here is Jesus going towards his touching that word pity or compassion it's a divine quality that's on view here it actually recalls the word or the attribute that the Lord God twice proclaims about himself in fact it's the first word that he proclaims about himself to Moses when he's up on the mountain and Moses has cried out Show me your glory. Show me your glory. He's at a crisis point in the history of Israel. And the glory that God shows him, the first word, the first part of his character that God gives humanity is this word, compassion, pity, mercy. The Hebrew is racham. And it literally means that gut-churning compassion, tender mercy, pity. And it's actually related to another word, rachem, which means womb. It's the love elicited by a helpless baby from a mother or father. The sort of love that really only a child can stir in the heart of a parent that knows no bounds or cost. You will do anything protect and provide for that child God's a fair way away from revealing that he's our father in heaven but here he is from the get-go who is God what is God like why bother with Jesus Jesus is the very mercy and compassion of God in skin in flesh he's turned up in person so we were told that moved with this pity, this compassion, the same pity and compassion that Jesus a little later will look out on the mass of humanity, helpless, hapless, without a leader, without a shepherd, and he will feel compassion. It's the compassion that takes him to his cross. This is what causes Jesus to stretch out his hand. He does the unthinkable he touches this undefiled, clean person, makes himself defiled and unclean. Well, actually, no, that's not what happens, is it? The exact opposite. The man is overrun by the sinless, undefiled purity of Jesus. It's like um, Jesus 
in his holy purity and love is more contagious than any impure or defilement that can happen to a human being. It's instantaneous and immediately the leprosy left him, he was made clean. Instantly he's made whole. Instantly he's restored, he's, able to, he's got his family back, he's got all his relationships back, his community back. Only two people in the Old Testament who of leprosy. Aaron's wife Miriam in Numbers 12 and the commander of a pagan king's army in 2 Kings 5. And it's clear that God has healed both of them. Jesus' compassion and the leper's instant cleansing, they both testify to Jesus' identity as divine authority to, to reverse completely the effects of sin and disease and death in this world and to heal and make this person whole. In being healed of his leprosy, as I said, he's cleansed of his ritual, his social defilement. Many people in the world, I don't know if you've thought much about this, and maybe there's some people here from, uh, from these cultures or they're connected to these cultures, but there are many people in the world where their whole day is dominated by fears and rules around ritual purity and defilement, whether they be Hindu or Muslim or Jew. We get a version of that now on social media with cancel culture, don't you? Whether you're acceptable or not, whether you're in or you're out. A friend of mine was visiting her Muslim friend in hospital in Melbourne. She'd noticed a Quran by her bedside table. She asked if she was reading it and she shook her head. She said, oh no, no, I can't. I'm menstruating at the moment. And then she looked at her, at, at her friend, who she knew was a Christian, and she said, you don't read from your holy book when you're unclean, do you? in a hospital in Melbourne. See, how would you respond? What would you say? I think that's why we get stories like this in the Gospels for us. Because they show us that Jesus and what he has to offer really is for any person from any nation. Think, about, think with me, uh, like for this leper, or the woman discharging blood for 12 years in, in chapter 5 of Mark's Gospel comes to Jesus, desperate for healing, because she's unclean, she's defiled, you see. She wants her life back. And so for the increasing number of people immigrating to our, to our streets, to your streets and mine, immigrating to our regional, rural and remote communities, trying, looking for life, a fresh start. For life for them can be really binary, they either exist in a state of ritual purity or impurity. Can you begin to see just how beautiful, how big, how majestic the good news of Jesus is? But did it seem a bit weird to you that Jesus says to the leper next, say nothing, keep your mouth shut, go show yourself to the priest, offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus' Old Testament, uh, sorry, so the Jewish Old Testament law, it prescribed that for a leper to be declared clean and to be able to be restored back to family and community and, and to temple worship, they had to be certified clean by the Jewish priests of the day. In telling the man to go show himself to the priests, Jesus is actually enlisting the very Jewish law that he says that he's come to fulfill. He's enlisting the testimony of the law to testify to the experts in the law about what Jesus had done. He'd cured leprosy, something that only God 
could do. And of course, the leper does exactly what Jesus says. Well, he doesn't, does he? He just ignores Jesus, disobeys him. He's just got to go and start telling people straight away, and he does. I don't know when you've been so overwhelmed by God's grace to you that you just haven't been able to keep your mouth shut. Cause you to, to go and tell. Jesus, he's the very compassion of God. Come for the defiled, the untouchables in our world. People like Regina. Regina's story is a really sad story. Uh, one of incest as a child, physical abuse, bondage to drugs. She grew up feeling worthless, less than worthless. The thought of God filled her with fear because she thought he would treat her the way all men had treated her. After eight abortions, Regina was ready to die. And after several suicide attempts, she ended up at a teen challenge program. And there in Jesus, in the pages of scripture, she met a saviour, a God, who showed her that she was precious in his sight, deeply loved. This is what Regina writes. I now feel pure and clean and more innocent than when I was born. Dear brothers and sisters, I wonder if there might be an untouchable in your world this week who you could ask God to help you to hear about this Jesus who's full of compassion, of grace, that they might come under the authority of his healing touch. Well, we move on, don't we? We're back in Capernaum. uh, And here, I think we come uh, and are shirt-fronted with the authority of Jesus, the authority of Jesus. Now, maybe it was the leper or one of the many people uh, Jesus had healed at Peter's mother-in-law's house. But Jesus' authority to heal people with a word. I mean, it's reached the years um, of at least four mates of a paralysed bloke that Jane told us all about. And as Jane said, he had a problem. Okay, he had a problem. And they carry him to Jesus. They can't get through the crowd. Um, And we're with them, aren't they? We really want them. We're rooting for them to get their mate to Jesus, and they do. Of course, they tear a, a roof uh, in, the, in the roof, of, you know, in, make a hole in the, in the... Actually, maybe we should do this. Never thought of that, Matt? Make a great kid's talk. Put a hole in the roof. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> but seriously, if that happened, like, you wouldn't be looking at me. You'd be like, what is going on, wouldn't you? Like, if something started happening, it just... That's it. All the attention is on this paralytic man. He's being lowered, and Mark tells us Jesus sees their faith. Jesus sees their faith. Now, in Mark's gospel, this is the first time that little word faith or trust or reliance is used. So this is really important what's going on here. Their faith in Jesus is that they believe only Jesus can heal this paralyzed man. This isn't yet faith in Jesus to save their souls from sin and God's judgment, is it? No, no, it's their determination to get their mate to Jesus at all costs that's been commended here. And it's in contrast to the questioning unbelief of others uh, in, um, in this house, which is actually quite likely Jesus' own temporary home in Capernaum. It's often the way God gets our attention, isn't it? An acute medical or financial, moral or relationship problem. He's sort of like, 
turns us, causes us maybe to pray, to cry out to God for help, maybe to come to church. Now, I should say, if that's you this morning, if it's been a while, welcome. You've come to a good place. It's good you're here. Make sure you connect with Matt or someone here afterwards. But as Jane so helpfully pointed out, while this man's crippled body is his sort of obvious need, according to Jesus, is not his most urgent or important need. Seeing their faith, we read in verse 5, Jesus said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Healing bodies. It isn't Jesus' mission. Healing souls sick with sin is. And as we heard, for some people in the house who, who knew their Bibles well, it was like a forest fire had been set off in their hearts. And Jesus' words were like petrol on that fire. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And it's a fair question. It's actually the right question, I think. I mean, um, if, I, uh, if Simon kindly lent me his new car, which I'd love a drive in someday, Simon, um, but I crash it. Um, and of course, uh, I come to the most spiritual person in the church, which is Matt at the moment, because Simon's not here. Uh, surely Matt's got... You know, Matt, I'm so sorry, I crashed Simon's car. Please, will you forgive me? And he looks at, Matt just looks at me weird. And he says, what are you doing? You've got, you've got, to, go, you've got to go to Simon. And of course, we know, don't we, that it's, just, it's nonsensical. That if I smash Simon's car, I go to Matt for forgiveness. I've got, I've got to go to Simon. He's, he's the, I've, in, I've incurred the debt... To Simon, only he can actually forgive me and choose to cover that debt. Which I'm sure he would, because we, we're good friends, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, he's smiling, he's smiling, he's getting there. It took a little while, but he got there. <laughs> Who could forgive sins but God alone? It's the right question. Jesus is, of course, if Jesus is only a man, it's like, what? This is it's nonsensical. Knowing the unbelief in their hearts, Jesus asks, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. Don't know how you'd answer that riddle. If Jesus is just a human being, I want to suggest both are equally impossible. But if, on the other hand, the God who fashioned the universe and fashioned you and I, and if he really did turn up in person, the very compassion of God, then this Jesus should be able to do both. And so what does Jesus say? Verse 10, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, the paralytic man's sins, the sin of all the people sitting in the house, the sin of all the people sitting here this morning. Jesus said to the paralytic, verse 11, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He gets up, took his mat, he walked out in full view of them all. Jesus heals the man instantly to prove he really does have the very authority of God to forgive sin in the land and all of the consequences of sin in the land, disease and death and disability. 700 years earlier, God promised that one like a son of man would would ascend on the clouds from earth to heaven and he would receive all power and authority from God to judge all people from all nations for all time. And that's what he's going to do when he comes again. The Bible is very clear. Jesus is very clear. That is what 
to expect when Jesus comes back again. But that's then in the future. Now, now, between Jesus' first and second coming, Jesus wants people on earth to know that he, this Son of Man, he has all the authority of God, all the compassion of God to forgive the sins of any human who will come to him so that they might be saved from this day of judgment, saved from being cast off into an eternity where they will perish forever in hell, saved to enjoy resurrection life with Jesus in the great heavenly banquet. A couple other things just to pick up from this episode. The word sin is mentioned four times, three times by Jesus. Jesus really believes in sin. Do we take it as seriously as Jesus? It's a little word with a really big meaning. It sums up our failure to love God and to give God his worth. Sums up our failure to love neighbour as well. It's how we all fall short of our own aspirations and standards, let alone God's. And the reason we can really, really believe in sin is because we can believe in forgiveness. Do you believe in forgiveness? Like really believe in it? The word forgive occurs only nine times, nine times in Mark's Gospel. Four times just in this little episode. This is all about forgiveness. Uh, Look Me in the Eyes, a show about forgiveness. It was on SBS. It was hosted by Ray Martin. It's based on the neuroscience research that revealed that something powerful and profound can happen in our brains when we look another human being in the eye who we've wronged or who has wronged us and we forgive them. This episode here is of Ayak. He was a child soldier uh, in Anyang, uh, I should say in a, in a prison camp in, in Africa. The back of the person there is Anyang. He was the camp guard who tortured him the most. And here they are, forgiving and reconciling. Enemies. This next episode is about estranged sisters, Megan and Rebecca, forgiving and reconciling with each other after many years of having not spoken. Don't know about you, but who of us hasn't said or done something that has had profound consequences for a relationship? Well, it seems science, at least, believes in the healing balm of forgiveness, that we're actually wired for it, amazingly, made for it. I wonder who could be behind that. And that only the healing balm of forgiveness can heal the hurts and the wrongdoing and reconcile enemies. Do you believe in forgiveness? Jesus has got in person, come to look humanity in the eye to let us know what every human being needs most, what I need most, you need both. And it's now on offer in him until he returns. Well, we finish, don't we, with that most unlikely person that Jesus looks in the eye and says, come on, mate, drop what you're doing and follow me. I've called this the call of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, the call of Jesus. And as we heard, it's about a tax collector, a guy called Levi or Matthew, who wrote Matthew's Gospel. 
We read that he, Jesus went out beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them and he passed by. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, Levi was likely collecting taxes here uh, from his own people for Herod Antipas, um, the uh, Roman ruler in Capernaum at the time, lining his own pockets uh, in the same way. Um, we know that from what Zacchaeus says in Luke 19 when he offers to pay back four times what he had taken from others. So they were regarded, tax collectors, as sinners par excellence by the Pharisees. They were like the prime example of a traitor, a collaborator with the Romans. And here's Jesus calling one of them, not just to follow him, but he's going to actually commission him to be one of his 12 apostles. It seems there's no human too riddled by sin, too treacherous, too traitorous, too stained by sin, who could not be forgiven and given a fresh start by Jesus. Verse 15, as Jesus reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. The religious insiders, they're stunned. They can't comprehend how Jesus can be sharing a table uh, with thieving uh, traders, with moral sinners, with prostitutes. It's, how can this guy seriously be the Messiah? Verse 16, the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat? with tax collectors and sinners. Now in Jesus' day, there were two schools of Pharisees in Jesus' time. A bit like you've got Flinders and Adelaide Uni, and then this other uni, what's it called? Uni SA, is that right? No, anyway, let's go with Flinders and Uni for now. It's a bit like that. Two schools, you know, where you got, you got trained in the way of Pharisaism, if you like. Uh, they were the followers of Hillel. They taught that the way to study the Torah was to get people together, to gather people together, Gentiles included. Then there was the school of Shammai Pharisees. They believed that when God created the Gentiles, he made a big mistake. The proper way to study and follow the Torah was to stay separate from the Gentiles and sinners. In fact, the the word Pharisee means separate ones. The Shammai Pharisees question I want to suggest here at this point in Mark's gospel, it's not a trap. They are genuinely puzzled. They've been brought up to think a certain way. They're just, they're puzzled. How can Jesus be from God, the the Christ, if he's eating with these unclean, defiled sinners? And of course, then we get uh, Jesus' well-known mission statement that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus acknowledges that Matthew and his mates are indeed sick, and he is the heaven-sent doctor come to heal them. And sadly, the religious insiders who had, well, I've got the most Bible knowledge, they're in the know, but yet they were blind to who Jesus was. They refused to accept that they too needed to be forgiven and healed of their sin and come to Jesus. As we turn for the home straight, this opening section in Mark's Gospel, if you go back, you would have heard last week from Simon. After Jesus starts preaching the gospel, that the time's up, now's the time to come to him and believe in him. The very first thing he does is he goes out and calls four fishermen to drop their nets and to follow him. 
And the end of this first section, here he is calling Matthew to do the same, to leave his tax booth and follow him. And he does. A scurrilous, despised traitor and thief to his own people. I think it teaches us that this guy, this Jesus, he really is and continues to be today the ultimate disruptor of people and their plans. To, to, to be able to interrupt like this. I don't know when you were last dropped everything. It reveals the sort of urgent radical response that Jesus reckons is needed if we're really hearing who he is and what he's on about and what he's offering. Nominalism won't cut it. Giving Jesus lip service won't cut it. Giving him a couple of hours a week in our diary won't cut it. We're either all in or we're not. We've completely surrendered all of our heart and mind and soul to Jesus, or we haven't. Now, of course, the only way we can do that is with God's help, which is why it's so important to pray. There's no category of human that is not sick with sin that Jesus does not want to save and does not want to enlist into his service to tell others about him. That is the only sort of Christian I can find in the New Testament. Telling people about Jesus, partnering with Jesus to get the message out through others, it's the only sort of Christian I can find in the Bible. This slide here is the guy in the middle, Jack. There, that's the night of his, his commissioning. Um, you've got a few BCA committee people and, um, and other people there. Um, I really want to encourage you, before you go to bed tonight, to go home, uh, type, get on the bushchurcha.com website. Up the top you'll see a little uh, thing that says people. Click that and then you can uh, put in staff and look up Jack Haradine. Look up the Haradines. And in his story, there'll be a link that you can click that is his testimony. Jack had a really violent past. He was a brawler. He came from a family of brawlers. Alcohol, drugs, you name it. And God reached into his life and saved Jack. And he is one of the most avid evangelists I've ever met. Wherever he goes, he's just always challenging people to turn and to believe in Jesus. We commission him, he's in the car the next day off to the big um, butterfish fishing competition at Port Pierce. And then this next slide, there he is out in the water baptising two blokes. <laughs> One is his son, on, on the right, Albie. Now the week before, Albie was in intensive care, overrun by drugs and alcohol. He was going to die. And here he is up here a week later giving his life to Jesus. The other lad is the son of his brother, of Jack's brother. He became a Christian nine months ago, realised he'd been mucking around, hadn't been taking Jesus seriously and it was time to do something about that. Pray for John, pray for him. Friends, whether it's in our own streets, our own relationships, 
uh, near or far, we've all got a part we can play. The most important question to allow God to sift your heart with this morning is, where is your heart with Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? How, how, how are we holding out on him? And with his help, to pray and ask him to help you to surrender it all to him. And strap yourself in for the ride of your life. But also to be willing to keep being generous and to partner further afield. People overseas, uh, Lauren and others at uni, or people out in the bush in Australia. It doesn't actually matter, just because everyone needs to know Jesus. <laughs> it doesn't matter, but just... What does it look like for us to actually step up and to step forward and to get more involved in this beautiful big mission of Jesus, the very compassion of God? Can I finish by praying for us? Merciful Father, thanks so much for uh, this passage of Scripture and thank you for your your call of grace on our own lives, the way you've used people uh, to teach us about Jesus, the very compassion of God for our forgiveness. Please, will you continue to do what only you can do for your people here? Draw us to yourself to grow us uh, in love and maturity um, as followers of you, to be more like you, Lord Jesus, and to know more and more each day of the joy of living for you and your purposes of grace for lost people in your world. In Jesus' name, amen.